In this episode of Testimony, a musician story presented by Soundseekers, I talked to rapper and singer Caleb Mitchell. Now, I talked to Caleb when he was like 15 years old, did an up-and-comers episode with him featuring Rockstar JT, but a lot has happened since then. He lost his best friend to gun violence, he discovered his father has a drug problem, and he himself got sick and lost his voice. He also worked with Def Jam and met former CEO Paul Rosenberg. And he talks about that entire experience and the full circleness of him starting off rapping because of Eight Mile. But let's go ahead and first start with your first music memory, whether it be a song you heard, a video, or a performance you saw, first music memory. First music memory. I think the first one that stood out to me was um I was I was like five, either five or four years old, and there's this dude wearing a polo and a backpack on 106th and Park. My older brother's watching it, and I'm like, who is this? It's the video premiere for a song called Jesus Walks. And I was like, wait, this sounds like the music that my mom plays, but this also sounds like the hip hop my dad plays. This is this is like a cross between two worlds. And I was like, this is blowing my mind. And from that moment, I was a dedicated hip hop fan at five years old. So my older brother started playing me like the edited versions of college dropout, late registration and all the rest of it. So from that point of that, I think that's one of my first real memories of just me being a fan of music. All right, so your first real memory is Kanye West's Jesus Walks. Yeah. I mean, that's a major song. That was a big record at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh. Definitely. Um, it is, it's interesting, though, to hear, like, you were five years old when that came out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Wow, that's crazy. All right. So, and going to your childhood and where you were mm-hmm. raised, you were born in what, Morristown, New Jersey? Yeah, I was born in Morristown, Morristown Memorial Hospital to be exact. Um, we lived in Union, New Jersey for a while. And then my younger brother came along, so we moved to Morris County. And uh, I grew up in Wharton, went to schools in Wharton and stuff until I was junior high and then i went to high school in denville uh so pretty much i've been all around north jersey mars county uh, pretty much my entire life okay and your household who was in your household you mentioned an older brother yeah do you have any other siblings yeah i'm the middle child so i have an older brother and a younger brother uh, mom and dad. Dad is from Jersey. Uh, my mom is actually from Kenya. So I had like pretty much the best of both worlds, pretty much seeing, you know, just how people operate and, you know, the Kenyan side and their customs and traditions and just how they operate. And then obviously Jersey and a lot of northerner energy and all the rest of it. So I kind of kind of had the best of both worlds growing up. Okay, so I didn't know the Kenya 
that your mom was from Kenya. I mean, that does bring a different yeah. into the household. And in mm -hmm. that area, was it heavy, heavily populated with just immigrants at all? And then was it, I mean, cause you know, there's a, usually like a, like Caribbeans, like on the East coast are, um, yeah. Caribbeans are pretty much everywhere, but Kenyans, was that a huge community? Not a lot. There's not a lot of Kenyans. There's, you can find a lot of Jamaicans, uh, some of my friends are Haitian. A lot of my friends are either, you know, Colombian, Puerto Rican or anything else, but not a lot of Kenyans. Like, I think I may have met one other Kenyan around here in my lifetime, which is, which is kind of wild. But yeah, we're, we're the only, I think, only Kenyan family for, for a while. Okay. And then, I mean, how is that though? Because you have the two different dynamics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tree, your dad, who's from here and, you know, East Coast, like that's a whole nother just culture in its own. Mm -hmm. How did those like collide and how was that? It was interesting to say the least. Uh, you know, some things mom would agree with, dad wouldn't, but some things dad vouched for, mom wouldn't. It was, it was. I mean, I, I'm grateful that I was able to grow up in a household like that because I, I'm more, I guess I'm more in tune with, you know, my roots and I can see exactly where I come from and just being able to, you know, have conversations with family and like my grandmother before she passed and just get knowledge of different things, like other than a, a traditional American experience. Uh, I was, I was pretty, I was grateful for that, but yeah, it was, uh, especially when it came to doing the music thing and like the whole college situation, that was a fight. <laughs> that was a fight because, yeah, it was. College, if, if you have yeah. her from Africa, you're going to college. Yeah, so yeah, that was a, that was an interesting debate until, you know, until things started like to materialize and it's like, okay, this isn't just like a pipe dream. Like he's actually trying to make something happen. So then. So it was all right, but <laughs> before then it was, oh boy, it was a, it was a fight for a while. Okay. And was it a Christian household? Mm -hmm. Yeah, on both sides. So um, did you go to an American church or African? <clears throat> like what was, yeah. okay. I, I grew up in the Baptist church my entire life. Uh, actually Calvary Baptist Church in Morristown, New Jersey to be exact. Like I was baptized there like four years old, grew up there, was I played keys in the in the children's choir when I was younger. My little brother actually played the drums. Like uh it was actually it was a big part of, you know, who I who I am and uh just growing up, like making a whole bunch of friends. Like a lot of my friends are from there. Even if we've moved around and stuff, we're still tightly bonded like we never really lost that connection okay and so pretty much your whole time in church you were playing music then from the age of five yeah i uh it's actually a funny story it was um i think the song was imagine me i think my kirk franklin my mom was playing it because she was listening to the radio and I had like this Casio keyboard that I had gotten for Christmas and I hadn't touched it until that day I came home and I just, I tried to mess around with it. And I was able to like play the song back by memory. 
and that's how we learned or discovered that I knew how to play things by ear. And from five until now, I haven't really stopped. And it's just evolved in different stages of trying to play other people's music. Then, okay, how do people make music today? Okay, what's a what's a software? What's the X Y Z? And just evolving, evolving until I started making my own albums and stuff. That's crazy. So the Kirk Franklin song, when you were playing mm-hmm. that by ear, how old did you say were you? Five. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> You're definitely a lot of things have been. definitely born with it. Um, so you were playing music in the church. Um, that means mm-hmm. you were attending church multiple times a week because you at least had worship rehearsal and. <laughs> Have to rehearse for yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. When did it become real for you? When did you personally give your life to Christ? Um, I think it really became a real thing for me around, I want to say I was like 13 or 14. Uh, it, it just, there was just a whole lot going on with you know, my mom being sick and she, she had gotten diagnosed with cancer and there was just certain things happening and certain things beginning to happen, even things that I kind of touch on on the new album. Those were in like in the beginning stages and it was just, it was a weird time and I felt like I just kept seeing things that I couldn't explain other than being God and like ways being made that weren't possible. Uh, human hands and I just was like okay maybe this is like like you hear as a kid you hear it from other people you see like you go to church you see people falling out and all the rest of things like what is this about you don't really understand it until you start experiencing life and I feel like just with certain situations I I kind of kind of had to grow up quick and 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 I guess go through things that you know a lot of my peers really didn't uh, see or experience until they were older. And I don't know, it just became more apparent to me that I'm not really in control of this thing here. And there's somebody else who's guided me through these situations. So it wasn't necessarily one main thing. It was a series. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was a series of things. And so around what, age do you think that was um 13 14 okay. kind of yeah it kind of became more real to me and i kind of developed i guess my own relationship instead of just like being dragged to being dragged to church and all the rest as a kid you kind of i kind of stood back and felt like oh well something feels different and i Maybe I want to start, you know, learning on my own and just just growing, just growing. And you said that you were experiencing things that a lot of your peers weren't. Did your peers know what you were going through at the time or did you keep it all inward? Oh, that was, a, yeah, that's actually a big thing that I had to kind of grow out of or, well, you know, you still sort of trying to grow out of is internalizing things and that's that's something that i kind of tried to shed with this new album it's like highly personal and it's a lot of stuff that even may have been going on throughout my career that 
whole time like i'd be making you know really turned up songs and happy songs and stuff like that and a lot of these situations have been ongoing but i felt like there was a it was kind of like a breaking point where i felt like all right if i don't if i don't start getting more introspective and start you know expressing things to other people and um stop trying to hoard all these emotions and stuff because it's only gonna it's gonna hurt me in the long run i i definitely use music as therapy and started opening up a lot more to the people around me and it was it was interesting seeing people's reactions because they some of them had absolutely no idea what was going on with me or anything like that so it uh it definitely deepened a lot of my relationships especially with my manager aaron she uh it's so strange how a lot of things in our lives are kind of parallel and she's she's kind of the same way where she's she's like a really really strong person so she'll, she'll try to handle everything herself and we both came to the realization kind of like we have to start you know depending more on each other and opening up more and just being a lot more honest with each other because it's, it's, it's only it's only healthy it's right for everyone to have someone to go to right on that's true um so at this point um for those who don't know like i i actually interviewed caleb when he was like around this age that he's talking about 15 14 15. yeah and um so testimony musician story he was featured as an up-and-comer with rockstar jt if you want to hear that one but i feel like since then at that point your life switched up and things changed mm. and even though probably when we were talking you were internally going through these things but it didn't come up um mm -hmm. we didn't know about this so first i want to ask about your mom do you mind if i ask what type of cancer it was yeah it was uh it was breast cancer she uh she was diagnosed i think when i was around 12 or 13 and uh yeah i was in i think it was in like middle school or something like that and it was really kind of it was kind of a shock for us because she uh that's another thing. I, she's really like, she's my hero pretty much. Cause like she, she knew like before Christmas, but she didn't, she didn't tell us until like the next like January pretty much. Cause she wanted us to enjoy the holiday. So just things like that. Just, she kind of like, I don't know. She's super strong. She's an inspiration for me. Sheltering you guys. Yeah. And how is she now? She's good. She's good by the grace of God. She's good. Um, you know, you still have to deal with, you know, certain side effects and keeping up with prescriptions and all the rest of that kind of stuff, but she's, she's out of the woods. So I'm grateful for that. Okay. And because of your honest music, because mm -hmm. you're so transparent in this, you know, latest project, um, we know about the loss of your brother and, um, your father being an addict. Let's start with your brother. When did you lose him? Yeah, so that's um, it's actually like my very good friend that I, you know, I call my brother. Uh, thankfully, my my older brother, young brother, is still with us. But yeah, this is my my guy, my guy from day one. Uh, 
His name is uh, Jihad Payne. We uh, grew up in the same church together. And literally since day one, we, we actually met in the choir stand at choir rehearsal as kids. He, uh, the goofiest, most kind-hearted person ever. He was uh, 23 when he passed. He kind of, he dedicated his life to, you know, working with kids, especially kids with special needs. And he... It was it was it was weird. We kind of we kind of like stumbled into each other into like this friendship. Like I think I may have been eleven years old, and I was just because my mom would work in the church. So after school on like Friday, I'd go to the church with her. She'd pick me up from school. I'd go to the church and I'd be in like the chapel or something like that, just practicing piano because it was the only place that was like quiet. And he walked in one day, and I was like, "What's up? What's up?" And I think I was playing, I was playing some song that I heard on the radio. And he was like, you know how to play this song? And I was like, yeah, I could do blah, 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 blah. And I played it. And he was like, yo, what the heck? Like, you're mad talented. And then we just became cool after that. And it was just, uh, he was just one of those people that's, uh, that were, if, if he's for you, he's like for you. Like this man stood outside with me in the heat passing out my cd like it was his like as a, as a 13 14 year old like when i started making music he would go up to people like yo check my boy out blah blah blah, blah. like he was a special kind of person like you only you only get once every hundred years like he was very very special he uh it was just you know wrong place wrong time Jersey, I, I love Jersey, but sometimes I hate it here because it's just it, it, it's a violent place sometimes. And he was he was just caught in the wrong situation and, and, and got shot. So, uh, yeah, that was a uh, that was 2019. It was it was the most weird weird day because it was um it was actually around the time that I was starting to work on the album and we were actually supposed to work on something together because he he was musically inclined he actually painted he was you know graphic uh graphic designer whatever like he painted he drew all the rest of that and he had offered a long time ago like yo one of your albums i want to be able to draw it i was like of course and he had actually called me months prior like yo we got to start working on something and this was after the whole I think 973 and the Mitchell albums, they had all come out and I was getting ready to start working on the next one. And he called me at the right time. I was like, yeah, of course, we can work on whatever. And so going into my new album, it almost felt like, dang, um, I think I, I learned this term survivor's guilt. It, uh, it felt weird knowing that some of this music I was supposed to work on him with. And it was just... That was a lot, and I felt like if I'm gonna do this album, I, I want to be able to make them proud and make it like the best thing that I've ever done. That's crazy. So I didn't realize how fresh that was. Just 2019. Yeah, yeah. So were you guys around the same age then? Yeah, he was two years two years older than me. Uh, so it was he was kind of like a big brother, but we we really didn't even like view each other like that. We just we were just brothers for real. Um. Still, my condolences. I know that's still. Thank you. Thank you. Still rough. Um, 
and then you also talk about your father. Mm. Um, I know he was like also played a major part in just music in your life. Um, yeah, definitely. And then he also turns out that he's an addict. Is this something that you were aware of? Like most of your childhood, you found out earlier or later on, like how did that all come about? Um, There were certain things, there were certain things that as I grew, I kind of noticed because I mean, you grow up, you, you experience the world, you start seeing certain traits and certain signs. It's like, you know, like even I talked about on a role model three, I was like, being a little bit sneaky, you know, you're not doing the things you say that you're doing, you're showing up different places. It's It just started, things just started adding up where it was, it was like, all right, either it's either A or B and I'm, I really hope it's not A, but then, it, you know, it uh turned out that it, it was that situation. So it was, um, it was it was it was kind of like my worst suspicion coming true, and uh, you know I I kind of known, but then he, he kind of came clean one day, and it was the culmination of a whole bunch of different other situations. So yeah, that was a that was something I I kind of suspected for a while, but yeah. So I mean, when he came clean, around what age were you then? This this is like fairly recent. I think it was maybe no. This this is actually January of twenty twenty. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, it's a it's it's really still like an ongoing thing. Like I was in the dead middle of working on everything, uh, even trying to fight through not having not having my voice and not knowing how I was gonna make my next album. It was a that was that was another thing it was yeah there was a lot <laughs> there was a lot that was happening at one time but uh yeah we um january 2020 is when you know things kind of finally came to a head and then you know he went off to uh get help and all the rest of that kind of stuff and you know people kind of separated and things like that so it was yeah, like fairly recent so when when you found out, did you already write Role Model Part 3, or was it after? No, nah, that was, um... Wow, wait, I'm trying to figure out, did we... Funny enough, I had the beat. I had the beat in, like... No, I know exactly when it was. It was Halloween. I was actually at the Def Jam studio, uh... I was in the Dove Jam studio with um, my guy Enzo and um, Anthony Cruz, and I knew that I was going to continue that series because it was something that I was I was like dealing with in kind of silence. Like I wasn't talking about it and wasn't talking about you know family situations and all the rest of that. I knew that that series was going to continue and it was going to be you know about him and stuff. Uh, I had the beat, but I hadn't written it yet. And Halloween 2019, we were just all in the studio and we, we, we had this guitar loop and then we put drums on it. And I didn't even write it there in front of people because I knew this was going to be something that I had to sit down and kind of, 
and kind of take my time with. And I just told them, yeah, send it to me and name it Role Model Part 3. They were like, oh, word. I was like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is not going to be fun. Uh, but then, then yeah, everything happened and I kind of, I kind of had time to process everything and just sit down and flush out all my ideas. It actually took me, actually took me like, um, I think 20 times to record all of those verses, especially the last one. The last one, you can actually hear my voice crack a bunch of times. And it, I decided to keep that in there because I felt like it was more authentic. Like I didn't want to go back and polish myself and and sound uh, sound good or sound proper because it's not it wasn't that kind of song I felt like it needed the emotion that 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 came out naturally so I just I, I left that I left that in there for you know just for see when I make music it, it's it's for me but I know that you know other people are going through the same thing so I want to be as transparent as possible because I know my story may not be that unique and other people may be going through the same thing so I just I just felt like I owed it I owed it to people to be honest. No, thank you. I mean, you can feel it. You can definitely feel it in a role model. Um, that's crazy though because you put all that out there before your dad officially told you who he was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's been a it's been like an ongoing it's been an ongoing thing for a while, but I just. I just didn't, I didn't have all of the details, but you can see certain signs and stuff like that, like just mode swings and changes in behavior and all the rest of that. And just, and there was a lot of, just a lot of arguing and yelling from the time I was super young. So it was just, a, it was just something that I kind of like had in the back of my mind for a minute, but yeah. And let's talk about you getting sick and yeah. when mm. this happened and how, like, what was wrong? So I think mid, mid 2019, I started feeling weird. It felt like, felt like I just had a normal cold. So I kind of took like normal, like Robitussin and stuff like that and cough drops wherever I went. And then I realized I kept going through cough drops and kept going through medicine and stuff like that. And I was like, okay. The test wasn't working. No, not at all. And then I found myself like in the office, actually at Def Jam around that time that they they wanted to pick up Get It and use it as the Jet season anthem. And it was even hard for me to get words out. Like I was straining and it was a, it was, it was starting to get to the point where it was affecting the recordings. It was affecting how I sounded and, you know, people were starting to ask like, all right, it's been a year since the last album. Like, you know, any plans for, and I was, it was, it was missing opportunities, like sinks and placements and stuff like that. Like people were asking, oh, this people got, you know, this opportunity and I would, I would work on something and I'd be like, I can't send you this because it's, I, I sound, it sounded nuts. It, it, it dropped my voice so low to a point where it was, it wasn't even like, it didn't even sound healthy. Like it sounded almost scary the way my voice was. It uh, 
it, and then it just started kind of like giving out. And I had one last show to do in October of 2019. And so this is after a whole bunch of whole bunch of stuff had happened, you know, just family wise. And then my friend had passed and all the rest of that. And then started getting sick. And then I had one last show to do. And for some reason, my voice held out the whole time until I did. I've always finished my sets with get it. And then I walked off and that was it. I was like, ugh. And it was gone, gone. So this was like I had for point of reference, the only things I had done for my album was Helen Back. I knew that I was gonna drop Helen Back and I I was kind of shooting for early 2020 and I was I had Helen Back finished and a whole bunch of rough drafts and I it was done. I, I couldn't even speak. It was it was uh it was probably the scariest time of my life because music and recording and and just the process of making music even if it's something that doesn't come out is something that i've done every day of my life since i was 13. so it it terrified me to think that i might not be able to do this again so then it just you just start going down the rabbit hole of okay what do I do if I can't do this? Can I, can I write? Can I, I don't know. Can I ghost write for people? Can I, I, do I have to get a job? Do I have to like, it was, and then it just, you know, you sit home and like just social media, you see, you know, your friends, the people that you work with, like moving and progressing and all the rest of that. And you're, you're stuck. Like you're sick. There's a whole bunch going on family wise. You're still grieving. You're and it was just, it just kind of like compounded and, and just put me in this place. It's like, uh, I don't, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I don't feel like I have a purpose right now. And a lot of that fueled uh, Dawn, a lot of that fueled, a lot of that fueled Dawn, a lot of that fueled just the entire sequencing of the album, how it goes from dark to light. Starts with nightfall, ends with dawn, and just that that uh the scripture uh that I use like weeping indoors for a night but joy comes in the morning. It uh that kind of resonated with me throughout that time because you know, you you hear that, you you see that, you may have heard that a million times, but nobody ever really tells you how long that night actually is. And it, it was just a lot. It was a lot to deal with and I think opening up and back to, you know, opening up and being more transparent, that honestly saved my life because I was not in a good place mentally for a while just because of everything that was going on. And, um, yeah, I <laughs> like by the grace of God, my aunt heard or we told my aunt pretty much about what was going on and she just happened to have antibiotics and I started taking these antibiotics and week by week uh, my voice started getting stronger and stronger and then I just went on a, a, a spree of recording just going from intro to outro and I think by February like first or second we had finished dawn and then by the 14th we had shot the album cover okay yeah so how long was the time span of 
you not having a voice then? Um, from not being able to record and, and, and making, I want to say from June 2019 up until j- mid-January, like before that, the entire kind of 2019 from like March is when I started getting sick. So I started feeling it in like March. And then as it progressed, it just got to a point where it was just, I I knew that I couldn't do anything. So I was just literally sitting there writing ideas down the entire second half of 2019 until, you know, I started taking the medicine in 2020 and started, uh, the voice started, my voice started healing itself and uh, taking the antibiotics and stuff. So, uh, yeah, from like around March-ish to January of 2020. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. so did you ever find out what exactly happened? I mean, obviously with some sort of virus that the antibiotics killed it. Yeah, I, I think it started off as like a sinus infection, but because it went untreated as that for so long and I kept coughing and I kept trying to clear my own throat, it just started damaging my voice. Like it, it was it was burning and stuff after a while. And it just like it it wasn't it just wasn't there. And like I tried to sing and I couldn't do that. I could I tried to rap. I tried to talk aggressively and like I couldn't at all. And it was you just feel powerless. Like because you know again this is something I've been doing every day like literally I'd go to go to school, I'd come home 3.30 or 4 o'clock, whatever it was, and literally until maybe 2 in the morning, I'd be working on music. And then just, this is, this is, this is really, it's really my life. Like I, I put everything into music, like everything that I, I, I may not say to somebody else or talk about in public, I can talk to the microphone about, and it just, it's cathartic. So not being able to do that and having no sort of outlet was kind of like, it was scary. It was scary for a while. We're like Ariel from Little Mermaid. (laughs) (laughs) That that was, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we know that that last show before you completely lost your voice like that was god mm-hmm. you're talking about, like, mm-hmm. the reason i made it through like that was god he let yeah. you finish that but how would you say how does god's presence in your life look like personally outside of the music but personally what does his presence look like um in terms of like how i feel or yeah i mean he's present in your life Mm-hmm. How do you recognize his presence? Or do you even feel like he's presently there? No, I do. It's this is actually something that I've been working on recently. I've been stopping myself and I'm trying to work on being a lot more grateful because I feel like as humans, we we may set goals and we may uh, think of you know, where we should be or where we think we should be in life. And, you know, I I have to stop myself and realize that I'm not on my own time, on God's time. And in the simplest things, 
when I catch myself complaining, this is something I've been doing recently. I think since since I started getting sick, I uh, I would stop myself and I would just look at everything around me like I'm complaining about not being able to do X, Y, Z when somebody would kill to have a roof over their head right now. Somebody would, you know, kill to have this hot water that I'm just absentmindedly washing dishes with. Like just certain things that I'm that I've been blessed with that I'm not that I just take for granted and I just apologize. I'm like, I'm sorry for not realizing just how blessed I am. Like despite my circumstances, despite whatever I'm going through, like I still have breath in my body and I'm still able to make something happen. You know, like I that's my philosophy pretty much. Like as long as I'm here, I have presence of mind, I have activity in my limbs, like I, I I'm still here. Like I there's there's still story for me left. So it uh that that kind of that kind of showed itself a little bit on on, on Dawn where I was kind of just thinking about all the times that I felt like, you know, this story might be over and, and there's really no hope. It was like, yo, you're, you're here, you're breathing. You still have a chance. You saw another sunrise. So it's like, I I feel, I feel God in like the simple things. It, it, it's just, I feel like we, we, we kind of, we kind of try to make it a lot more complicated than it actually is. And I'm like, I can, I can inhale. I can breathe right now. Like I'm, I'm here. I'm physically here, man. And it's just, just things like that is where I, you know, I feel closest to. Them. All right, we're gonna move on to a topic or area I call the hot topic. Um, so what's trending mm-hmm. on Twitter? And I found yeah. two trending topics. Kind of, um, we'll discuss get away from some of the seriousness we were just discussing. <laughs> um, but the first one, Lady Gaga is trending. I don't know if you heard, but her dog walker was shot four times by thieves last night, who then stole two of the singer's French bulldogs, Koji and Gustav. And she had three of them. The third one escaped. Sure. Yeah. So now she has um a reward she's like asking no questions she's just i forgot how much the award was like five hundred thousand or something but i mean Sheesh. humanity man it's i man see that's the kind of thing that see those type of situations and just hearing about people's you know homes and stuff being broken into and and a lot just people who are in the public eye just it's just that's just something that i've i've always been kind of like wary of is just being too accessible and, and just that that kind of stuff it just it just makes me paranoid like even i'm nowhere near lady gaga but you know sometimes I've I've had situations where I've kind of had to like <laughs> get people away from me because when people see an opportunity, it's kind of like they don't really see you as a human. It's kind of like it's weird. They they see you as this like walking opportunity. It's just it's just it's just strange. Like I man, 
definitely is strange. People are strange. The world is strange. It's like yeah. streets ain't safe for nobody. Like, nah. I mean, we already know as an artist, especially like you know, as a rapper, it's not mm-hmm. safe. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, even just you know, recent years with Nipsey and yeah, Pop Smoke. But now, it's like, but dog walkers, like the dog walkers, ain't even safe. Yes, nuts. That's nuts, bro. Like, shot the dog for what? For what man, like, it had to have been oh to get a reward for the dog. That had to have been it. Like, they had to know that she would pay anything to get the dogs back. Like, I don't know. Why else would you shoot a dog walker and steal a celebrity's dogs? That's crazy. I, some people, I just, you know. Just the actions of some people, just it. People, people are desperate out here, man. It's, it's a wild world that we live in. Another trending topic is Post Malone. He's released a cover of Hooting the Blowfish's 1995 hit, the song "Only Want to Be with You," and um, people are going nuts over it. They were loving it. I don't know hmm. if you've heard about that. Um, I actually haven't heard it yet. I have not heard it. Let's take a listen. Are you familiar with the Hootie fit, the Hootie song? I believe, I believe so. Okay. I believe so. I think I know what song this is. Let me try to play just a snippet for you. I'm pause. That's man. Post is talented. I, I gotta give it to him, man. Post is he's really talented. It's cool. I mean, I, I see what he's doing. I can see why people are, are excited because one, mm-hmm. I mean, the song was a classic and it's Hootie yeah. and Post Malone, but it sounds like Post Malone. Like, I don't know. He always, Not the- he just always sounds like that. Yeah. No, I feel that. Um, but I mean, how important as an artist do you think it is? Uh, to express yourself and experiment with different sounds and you know play with something like that um for me this literally been everything i i kind of found myself and my sound through uh experimenting and covering other people's records and things like that like i've i've my early career like i i covered john bellion records i've covered frank ocean records i've covered drake records i've covered so many different people's songs and i feel like i found my sound and what works for me and what i feel most comfortable doing just through all of my other influences and it just uh they kind of you know you have people who shape your sound but then it comes to a point where you you figure out your own path through all of your own your influences and stuff so i mean in, in regards to post I'm, I'm happy he's just far away from the white iverson days <laughs> I, uh, uh you know much respect to him i just you know wasn't rocking with that whole aesthetic but you know I, i'm glad he's he's doing what makes him happy do you think that you also have to think and consider your audience and whether or not, I mean, if you experiment with something totally new that they're not used to you doing, mm-hmm. do you think you should keep them in mind or just create and, you know, use your artistic expression to make what you want to make? Um, That's something that I actually, I actually deal with a lot because 
even when it even when it comes to say rapping and singing you have people who who might you know love you for different reasons and if you rap a bunch you know you might be neglecting a certain section of your audience and if you sing a bunch a bunch of people be like yo bro where's the bars at and it's just like it comes to a point where you can't please everyone so i try to find i try to find a happy middle ground of uh between me you know experimenting and trying things and you know knowing what my audience wants and knowing the things that would get them excited and just you know trying to find trying to find an, uh, a clear middle ground through all of that because it's it's impossible to please everyone at the end of the day so i just try to i just try to cover all of my bases all the time like i definitely make sure that i i, I definitely sing a bunch and then i i definitely try to at least have a couple you know more aggressive like lyrical heavy records and just just be able to not please everyone but you know just make everyone make everyone happy i guess at the end of the day and just with with progressing with my sound yeah i think you do a, a really good blend of it i don't think i've ever been like oh i wanted to hear more of this and less of that with yourself so okay oh, get into your music so we know that you started yeah. like um the piano at the age of five and discovered that yeah. you can just pick up by sound. Um, mm -hmm. And we discussed when I originally talked to you, you getting into rapping at the age of eight after watching Eight Mile. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. When, when did you like heavily, for those who aren't really too familiar with your music, like when did you like heavily really start making music and start getting noticed as a rapper singer um so yeah at, uh eight years old it's when i wrote my first rap uh because i saw <laughs> i saw eight mile i was literally watching the movie and the funny thing is i had seen it earlier as a, as a younger kid but i couldn't really i guess like appreciate it and by the time i was eight there was just something about the the rap battle scenes that I don't know. I just kind of like being able to, or the idea of being able to, you know, express yourself and and just this this like you know ag aggressive form of like storytelling. I really enjoyed that, and I kind of that's when. I mean, I'd already been a fan of rap, but I had no, you know, ideas of trying it for myself. Like I, I admired Kanye and and the Lupes and all the rest of that, and I I, I just. I enjoyed it as a fan, and but then I don't know something about the battle, the battle scenes, and just battle, battle rap in general. Like I'm still a big battle rap fan to this day. Uh, also, shout out my my bro, the Saga, you know, uh, you know, Blaze in the Path, you know, Christian battle rapper and stuff. Uh, I just I I started taking it seriously when I was. I want to say 13 is when I started working on my first album. And then by 14, I had made my first project. Um, that project is like long gone from the internet, though. That uh, I, I hated it in retrospect, so I took it down. Uh, but then Soliloquy is really what kind of, I guess, cemented like my name as an actual artist. It, it just, uh, 
you know, I posted it on the internet for free and on SoundCloud and stuff like that and different publications just picked it up and it uh it kind of took its own that I wasn't really expecting because this is something that I just made off my laptop with no budget and I just put it out for, you know, for free and uh, from there, that's when things really started getting serious. And how did you connect with Aaron Knight? Uh, actually a funny story. So I said before that I covered a Frank Ocean. Uh, that song was a strawberry swing off of Nostalgia Ultra. I put it out on SoundCloud and funny enough, Xavier Omar had followed me and heard that and he reposted it on SoundCloud. Now, Aaron had no idea who I was, but she was following Xavier. I was 16 and she heard me, she heard me sing Strawberry Swing. She was like, who is this kid? Then she went and found 45 and Soliloquy and stuff like that. And she emailed me, I think, either emailed me or, or DM me on Twitter. I don't, I don't remember. I think it was it, uh, what she said. It, I, I think I have to find these messages. Uh, yeah, she contacted us and, and it was just like, Yo, I I just want to be able to like chop it up with you and X Y Z like that. So it uh it turned into us like talking every Sunday, just about music and strategies and things like that. And she had she never like was like here's this contract, let me manage you. And it was it was just more like I just want to be able to kind of grow with you and stuff like that. Um, so we actually officially met the year later. Uh, when I turned 17, I actually went down to Atlanta. We met, and uh, from there, it just it just kind of started rapidly progressing. Like by by um, I want to say March, March or April of 2017, we actually did our first like show together. Uh, well, two shows. We sold out two shows in in Toronto, and uh. That was that was crazy. That was I was still to this day. That's a highlight for me because first time getting out the country, first time really like leaving, leaving kind of the state and stuff on my own, like just being, I guess, moving around, I guess, as an actual artist and, you know, having merch with me and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Like that was my first real experience doing that. So, uh, yeah, we started we, we started rocking when I was 17. Dope. All right. And um, and then let's talk about bench warmers. Yeah. Can you tell us about bench warmers? And that's all you, right? Yeah, yeah. Bench warmers is me. So I was this is uh, funny enough, this is actually around the same time I was 17 and I really didn't know uh, what I guess my base or my fan but I don't really, really like using the word fans it just kind of feels weird to me like the people who support me uh you know Rihanna is the navy you know like uh there's the deadheads you know there's the there's the different groups of people who kind of live under one banner and something that something that I knew it was going to have to be kind of like sports related just because sports was a big part of my life growing up. Like up until the time that I started um, releasing music, like seriously with like, so help me God being the first commercial effort. Like I was basketball and football literally from the time that I was like five. 
uh, and then there was one season. There was one season when, you know, I don't even want to say his name, but shout out to that coach who just had a vendetta against me for whatever reason. And he, and it was like, it wasn't like I was chump or nothing. Like I was on varsity and stuff. Like he, he just would not let me in these games. Like I'd get in for five minutes and then for the rest of the game, I'm like, yo, what's the issue? Like he, he would just bench me all the time for whatever reason. I don't know why he ain't like me, but I kind of sat back and thought like, all right, I know that I'm capable. I know that I'm equipped to be in this game. But, you know, it just takes that one opportunity for them to let me off the leash and be able to do it do what I have to do and show my full ability. Light bulb. I'm gonna call my this is gonna be bench warmers. This this is this is gonna be bench warmers. And I kind of just ran with that. And it was just it kind of it turned into multiple different facets. Like I have Benchwarmers Publishing now. So every time I write a song that goes into Benchwarmers Publishing, Benchwarmers LLC, which is like the actual, I guess, label or whatever for me. It, uh, yeah, it kind of just took a life of its own. And like, even still to this day, I'll see kids like put Benchwarmers in their bio and things like that. And it's just, it, 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 it's kind of, it's a beautiful thing to see, like just a concept that I have just turn into something physical. So, yeah, that's that's where the entire idea came from. All right. And let's talk about So Help Me God 2. Yeah. You had a movie and an album. Yeah. Um, now, I was fortunate. I did get to see the movie. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was um, a really cool experience. All right. For the rest of the world, how yeah. and when will they be able to see the movie? February 27th, if you hit the link in my bio on everything right now or my pinned tweet on Twitter, the link of my Instagram bio, there's a link that sends you to Eventbrite and you can choose between the different tiers and you can uh, either like just pay $5 and just see the actual movie or you can, you know, uh, pay a little bit more. There's a merch bundle that comes with it. There's a zoom call afterwards where you can talk to me about it and everything. It, uh, yeah, we're releasing it, uh, one night only like a digital premiere. And we're working on some other things too, that we, we still can't really talk about, but we're, you know, we're just, uh, we're, I'm, I'm really excited about this. It was, a uh, it was really, a. This was nuts because this is kind of a spur of the moment thing that my manager popped up on me. I had no idea that she was like dead set about this. He was like, we should make a movie. I was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, that sounds cool. He's like, nah, like, like write the treatment. I was like, huh? Like right now? And she was like, yeah. And I was okay. So then by the time I was literally moving, I was moving and uh, I think I wrote the entire treatment of 4 a.m. before I had to get up and like move the last pieces of furniture out the house and uh it, it worked like I just chronicled like just different events in my life and it just uh uh shout out to yay shout out to Brandon shout out to you know 413 creatives uh Preston for just the crazy cinematography shout out to Mir who played younger me she oh my god like it was 
it was it was I was in the room like in the certain scenes like where he's he's in the room writing and stuff like I'm in the corner off screen like almost trying to hold back tears because this is actually stuff that I did as a kid and it was oh man it was amazing it was a it was an incredible experience just making that and um so the album what about the let's talk about the production one because the yeah. production is so sick um, yeah. I know, I think you mentioned Anthony Cruz. Yeah. Was there other producers on the project? Yes, there's a bunch of producers. Okay. Um, let me see if I can name them all. Anthony Cruz, who really like took the helm of everything. Anthony Cruz, who goes by 1995. Uh, Kilowatts, Enzo Gran, um, Dylan Graham, who did Fool and uh, Proud, uh, Obed, Obed, who did guitar on a bunch of different songs for me, um, uh, Dope Boys, who actually co-produced on Fool, uh, Pelman Jr., who also co-produced on Fool, um, Kyle Stenberger, who did uh, Ballin' and, and he did... Um, she's Helen back with me uh it was it was really like all of my friends that you know we may have worked on either different projects together we all kind of came together and worked on stuff for this and it was it was a process it was like it was it was it was during the time where I was still trying to navigate, you know, not having a voice and stuff like that. So I'd be like, "Yo, can y'all just send me the most like off the wall, like weird stuff that y'all would never send to anybody else?" And that's kind of how we got numb. Numb came from two different demos, and it was just like, I don't know why, but I hear these two being together, and they they fit. And I'm I'm gonna tell this story about you know X Y Z and. I'm going to piece it together with these different sound effects. And then I put a first half of this song and another demo together. And I was like, this has to stay this way. It, it, it just, it was just a process of just finding different things that we wouldn't do otherwise. Like even Dawn, we kind of stumbled upon by accident. I was sitting in my friend Enzo's basement and he just plays me this like guitar loop. And he was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this. And I was like, yo, something about it just like jumped out of me and i was like yo send me that and i'm gonna work on it he sent it to me and it was just a moment of of like pure creation and not even thinking about like i didn't even write anything for dawn it just it just just the 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 instrumentation kind of just spoke to me and i kind of i kind of knew that this was it wasn't going to be a where it's going to be like okay. really repetitive I, I, and stuff it's I just lost you for a second so a, i didn't get anything after oh, right. you're talking about dawn and you were saying i knew yeah. this wasn't going to be and it got you. yeah I, I i knew it wasn't going to be um like super lyric heavy i knew it was going to be something where it was i was going to like repeat the same phrase a bunch of times i just didn't know what i was going to say and you know, that was the time where I was, I was, I mean, I talked about it before. I was just, you know, feeling like I, I don't have a purpose or, you know, maybe feeling depressed and, and just going through a whole bunch of different stuff. And I kind of felt like 
that scripture was kind of God telling me like, I'm not done with you yet. Like weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Like as long as you're still here, I still have a plan for you. So I just, I just kind of went in and just, I literally stood in different, I stood my microphone up and stood in different sections of the room and it kind of like made a one man choir <laughs> and just stacked my voice on top of each other. And then I got my friend uh, Aaron Cole to, you know, to do like, like, I just was like, yo, lead the choir, like, like, a, like, just, just have a solo, just go crazy. And he just chose his different pockets and stuff like that. And just, just this entire process, just, it was just so much more involved with other people like usually i'm kind of like self-contained like even if i get production from other people it's kind of like me taking it and just going back and and just working on it by myself but this time i actually went different places and this first time i actually traveled to other studios because i record by myself usually but this is time i this time i actually went and sat and went in to Anthony's house and Enzo's house. I'm like, all right, this is how we're going to do the master. Let's listen to it a bunch of times. Let's make different versions. Let's do. So it was a lot more involved this time. Yeah. And I was curious about your role as far as in the production, knowing how musically mm -hmm. you are, um, like how, how, how much input you had, but it sounds like you kind of, we're kind of orchestrating yeah. it all. Oh yeah, some of the songs I even I did by myself, like Smile I produced. Uh the second half of Hell and Back that uh, um kind of tribal tribal kind of like B portion that came from a completely other different song that I was trying to work on. And <clears throat> I don't know, it just felt like I needed I I like having changes of, of pace in, in records. Uh, this is something I've been doing on different projects. I have two halves of, of a song stitched together and I felt like Helen Back kind of needed, even though Nightfall is technically the intro, Helen Back is really the introduction to everything about the project. And I just wanted to have like a grand moment. So that beat, that was entirely produced by me, that second half. And I, I knew it was going to be, it was going to be right at the end of that. And I just kind of, I just took it from another song and I, I just tried something. I placed it there and it actually fit perfectly. Um, that I worked on, I worked on, which ones did I work? I've co I co-produced on so many different records. Like I try to not, uh, I try not to like mess with other people's stuff, but it just comes to a point where I'll do something weird in the way I record and I have to like adapt it to how I sound. So uh it literally there's so many different records where I'll, I'll take the drums out and i'll put my own drums or i'll do this and i'll get somebody else to play guitar and stuff like that so i'm like heavily involved in the production process i see um i mean i love the way that you just how the whole album flows and mm -hmm. and even like how you said what you did with hell and back how just the beat switches and it just gets like grittier you know, it comes out of the yeah. Heavenly Father and then the beat switches and gets super great yeah. and then plays again into the Heavenly Father and then like transitions mm -hmm. into Numb, like all of that. And, but that's like how I grew up on, like music I grew up on. So it's, mm -hmm. it's rare these days for newer artists to make music like that. They're so focused on the singles, on just having a song mm -hmm. on the playlist. But 
the beauty of this project is the entire it's in in its entirety like the songs are dope but when you listen to Mm. it in its entirety from start to finish and how everything flows it's a totally different vibe thank you thank you that's that's definitely something that i pride myself on i feel like i don't know like everyone around me always makes a joke that i'm like secretly 40 years old just because (laughs) (laughs) just because i'm like they they always say though i'm mad old and i'm like i I mean i guess it's just i grew up in a lot of stuff that was before my time like (laughs) it's just crazy it's I just I appreciate a lot of things that are kind of like before my era, like uh, after after Jesus walks, I honestly wasn't like so much so into the newer hip hop. Like I can tell you right now, Fuji's like the score was the first album that I sat and listened to. And there's so many different things that bleed into other tracks and and it, the interludes being just completely different stories and all the rest of it. And it's just like that fascinated me as a kid. So it was it was only right that I kind of adapted that. And because I feel like today is it's like that's also something that I kind of I kind of beefed with with uh, just with, you know, just people at labels and stuff like that, because they're they're so hyper focused on, OK, what's the single? What's the single? And. So if you think about it, like we put Numb out as a single, and that's not supposed to work as a single because it's two different songs, but he did for some reason. And it's just for me, it's just about the art. Like I just I just like being able to have a like a cohesive, you know, body of art. I want I want this to be an experience every time somebody listens to an album of mine, but I also want, you know, people to be able to pick their favorite songs. Like we can you can take bus down out of the lineup and it'll be, it'll still stand on its own. Like you put it in a random playlist somewhere. Like I, I, I try to, I try to meld like those worlds and bring them together. Of just, you know, having something that's an overarching storyline, but then also having these records still be able to stand by themselves. Well, you did it. What about the decision to make the album parental advisory? Um, honestly, it just became, it was, it it honestly wasn't even like a a, a thought to me. It just, it just happened when, especially when I was writing records like Role Model and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. I just felt like some of it, especially those, those deeper records, some of it had to be the way it was. And I felt as if. I'd be I felt like I'd be pulling a punch if I went back and tried to like change it or or just censor it because I felt like in throughout the entire project I I try to do things from the standpoint of just like complete honest storytelling like you're never gonna you're never gonna get me on a song you're gonna hear me talking about lean and and xyz like just stuff that i'm not about like i'm gonna be 100 honest about who i am and this project i feel like is the most accurate depiction so far of who i am now as an artist and just you know growing and getting older and just being a lot more forthcoming with information about me and just 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 more expression more expression like i feel like before it was it was good music like there was good music that i made but i felt like uh 
maybe a lot more people don't know who I am on a deeper level. So I felt like it was just, it wouldn't make sense for me to write something out of, you know, just needing catharsis and then just going back and trying to like pull punches and things like that. So I just, I left it the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And just on a side note, I want to say thank you for the John Gibbs rap feature. (laughs) Man, that was... That that was that's still exciting to me because I've people don't know I've been trying to get John on the record since I was like fifteen. I had this song off of this album called this album Soliloquy and uh focused. I left that second half open and I was like, I really want to get John Gibbs on this. And he'd been following me since back then. So I was like, dang, maybe if I just shoot, like I might be able to get him on it. So it was a, it was a, it's almost like a full circle moment. There's a lot of full circle moments on this album. Like even Xavier getting on it, it, it's just like, he's the reason I found my manager and just this whole full circle thing of now he's finally on my album. And it's just, I don't know. It just, everything just kind of fell into place this time. And it was, it was, it was an amazing experience just putting this thing together. That's awesome, man. And then, okay. Cause this has just been bugging me with the John Gibbs song. What is that sample? There's a sample. I, I literally wrote it down. Hold on. I wrote it down. <laughs> like, it keeps bugging me. I'm like, I know this. It feels like 90s. I don't know. Like, what is this song? <laughs> so what we took it from was the original. It's called uh, Petite Flair by Chris Barber's band. Uh, Chris Barber's jazz band. It was put out in 1959. But I'm pretty sure Diddy had used it in something. Yeah, I'm like, it sounds like Bad Boy. Like, I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Diddy had used it in something, but we took it from the from the uh, original sample. What was the guy's name again? The Chris Barber's jazz band. Chris Barber's jazz band. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, with that feature and then John Gaines, I was just like, what? This song? Yeah. Okay. That was um, actually his first rap verse in a while. Like, I kind of convinced him. I was like, fam, I know you're in your RV thing, bro. I, yeah. I kind of need you to rap, bro. That's why I specifically said his rap feature mm-hmm. I had been seeing for a while. Like, you know, John Gaines will be featured and then I'll check it out. And it's either him on the hook or him doing mm. background vocals i'm like really <laughs> vocals? Like, see? Yeah. <laughs> so um let the album okay we, we finished talking about the album i think we covered a lot in there yeah. um it's amazing <laughs> the the movie <laughs> is amazing Thank how you. everything Thank flowed um in the movie, you even used that that song that John Gibbs. I remember that in the movie. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It was just, it was amazing. Um, Thank you so much. Let's talk about this Def Jam connect. What's going on with Def Jam and them taking the Get It anthem and it being for the Jets? We'll call that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it was it was actually a wild, it was just a wild situation. I, uh, there was a, a shout out to Jason, Jason Peerless and Anar at Def Jam. He found my music and 
he was he was a fan of the music and he was just like, yo, I just want to talk to be, you know, maybe you can come into the office, X, Y, Z. So they actually brought Aaron up to, we met and they were like, yeah, uh, Paul Rosenberg wants to meet with you. Uh, what? Huh? <laughs> Wait, and you said what brought Aaron Cole? Aaron who came? Oh, Aaron. Aaron no, Knight. Aaron Knight. Aaron Knight. Yeah, my manager. Aaron yeah. Okay, get to meet Paul Rosenberg. What? Okay, continue. So yeah, I'm. So me being the kid who literally started because of Eight Mile, I'm like Paul, yeah. like the guy <laughs> on the skits on his albums. Like, yes. so yeah, I I walked in my office and stuff. To make things worse, this dude is like six six, so he's mad intimidating. I'm like, yo, like this is nuts. And he's like, hey, I'm Paul. I'm like, dude, I know who you are. <laughs> this is this is nuts. So yeah, they brought us in. We were just talking and stuff like that, and just um, they had actually sent get it to like I guess the media department or whatever at the Jets because they were looking for an anthem for the for the uh 2019 2020 season and apparently somebody in the jets office was already a fan of mine and they were like they were like yo that's caleb like he's yeah i know this kid like he's he's super dope so they had somebody that was already vouching for us and i had no idea who it was so it was almost like this like just divine thing kind of like just fell into place and then they, you know, presented us with a single deal and stuff like that, and to be able to use the record and things just happened super fast after that. They just uh, they uh, put the record out again, re-released it, and the Jets had a whole, you know, like hype video and commercial playing with it, and every single time that the the they played at the stadium, the song would come on as they came out the tunnel and. It was yeah, it was just nuts, and we were able to get you know Casanova and stuff on the remix, and it was it, it was just nuts. It was a super cool experience, you know, being being on the inside and seeing just how you know labels work and stuff like that. That's that is so dope, man. Yeah. Congratulations. All right. Um, is there anything else we should know? Anything we should be looking forward to in the future? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin anything. Uh, I don't want to ruin any surprises. But I, yeah, I'm the. I'm not finished. Uh, I'm definitely not finished. So we'll be, uh, we'll be, uh, we'll be back soon. That's all I gotta say. And how does God's presence look like in your life musically? Um, musically. I see. Right. That's, that's a good you question. Also Paul Rosenberg. <laughs> Ish. Uh, I feel like, honestly, situations like that, like just things, I feel like the way things came together, uh, especially through the hardships of trying to create this album, just how easy things came came to us, like just as a group, like the group that created the the project just just certain things that just wouldn't have happened like it just wasn't happenstance that these things happen like uh, example my friend uh kevin hackett who did the art he's from vancouver and he just happens to have a flight layover 
in New York near my house on for like a day. And we're able to finally, after years of working remotely, he's finally able to actually shoot my album cover himself. Just things like that happening. Just It's just like, all right, this can't be a coincidence. Like this, I don't have a voice and we're still making this album. Like this, this can't be a coincidence. So I definitely, you know, just feel him in the things where I just, I just go and I trust. And then, you know, things, things, actually come together so yeah and my final question um now that you've actually done two interviews with me who would you like to see me interview yeah. whose testimony would you like to hear that's a that's a good question i uh, Have you talked to Aaron yet? Aaron Cole? Yeah. Yeah, actually just did him a couple uh, towards the end of the year. So that's available. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Because I don't know, I just thought his, his story is pretty interesting because he started even younger than I did. So It is. I think yeah. that was like an, an hour and a half interview right there. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um. Would you do would you do an interview with somebody who isn't an artist? Um depending. Like I would love to talk to Erin Knight. I was just about to say that. Yeah. I was just about to say that because I feel like she has a lot, a lot of a lot of knowledge to share and a lot of, you know, just a lot of personal experiences that she can pull from, which would be an incredible interview in my opinion. Yeah. No, I, I definitely would be down and do something like that. So or, or yeah, that's a, a good recommendation and hopefully we can make that happen especially if she watches this uh, or I'm, I'm sure she's going to see every single second of this <laughs> all right awesome well i definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk with me thank you for having me thank you for having me yeah looking forward to hearing more music from you most definitely yeah. all right bye Hey, what's up? Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for watching the show. However you consume us, thank you. Please subscribe to the show. And if you really enjoy the content, please leave a review. It really does help with the ranking of the show. And if you want to go an extra mile, share the show, share this episode. And for all things testimony, visit testimonystories.com. Until next time, I'm Gilika Brown, the music lover constantly seeking positive music.